Um, I was preparing for tonight um, some things that I thought I might uh, share with you when, when there came a knock on the door and uh, it was um, our neighbour Rob, Dr. Rob, and um, he, uh, we, we hadn't seen him um, since before we, uh, we went to India, we'd, we'd hoped to drop some things off for them, but we could see they were kind of away and, and we weren't sure what was going on. But Rob said, can, can I just, you know, have a word? So, you know, he came in and he said, I've, I've got a little bad news. Um, so, um, I didn't know what, you know, what, whether it was even tongue in cheek or whatever. But then uh, he began to tell me the story. He, he... His wife had a lot of mental health issues and they finished up being, um, uh, she was so sick, they finished up being divorced many, many years ago. And in the process of time, he met a lady called Jane and um, um, they, of course, became very close and um, ultimately, um, Rob and Jane became partners together. And um, they bought the house next to us, um, I guess about two years ago almost now. Um, absolutely just wonderful people, beautiful neighbours, uh, and we've very slowly began to get to know them and, uh, and, and connect with them. And um, Rob, before we went to India, uh, about four days before we went to India, Rob came to me, he was smiling, he was so thrilled. He said, he said oh, he said, I've got some, some good news. He said, uh, he said, Jane wants to get married, um, which she has never been married. And I mean, they're, they're in their 60s. Um, uh, he said, Jane wants to get married. She, and he was absolutely thrilled because he never pushed her, but, you know, kind of hope that would be the case, and, and Jane, you know, for whatever reason, had her um, feelings about that, but had said, you know, let's get married, Rob. So they had arranged, uh, very romantically, they were getting married on, um, <clears throat> on the 14th of February, Valentine's Day, which we were away, going to be away, we, we were sad about that, but he was so excited uh, the wedding was arranged, and one or two issues, his brother is dying with cancer, and uh, also it would mean that his brother who's dying with cancer could be at the wedding, and um, you know, his, his father, and I've had one or two things, and it was just, just absolutely wonderful. We were so delighted, and so, um, but we were so um, tied up on our way out that we, we forgot, because Rob only told us a couple of days before we'd wanted to get them something, then we realized we were in India, they were getting married on the 14th, we were halfway across the world, couldn't do anything. <clears throat> so when we got back, Chris had went and bought a gift for them and, and a card, and um, you know we thought this would be the, the occasion to do that. Um, but Rob said, um, he said, look, he said, uh, you know, he was, he was very emotional, he said, Two days before uh, the wedding, on the 12th of February, um, Jane had got the results of some tests because she had had a, a, a smear test uh, at the beginning of February. They'd found some irregularities and they'd called her back for, for some further, um, further tests. And then on the 12th of February, two days before um, the wedding, um, they informed them that she had cervical cancer. Um, was it cervical? No. 
ovarian cancer, um, which was extremely advanced and uh, had spread uh, within the stomach and the lymph nodes, um, and that um, you know they wanted to begin uh, chemo, um, but the prognosis was that that after the first chemo, she might not live long enough to the second chemo. So this is two days before the wedding. Um, Rob is uh, a doctor and he has two degrees, and two of his degrees uh, were in the medical field, and one of those degrees that he did was specifically in the study of ovarian cancer. So he's not like you or I would be, kind of in the dark. He... he, he, he he knows everything, so he's actually in the know. He knows what it will do and how it will work. And he was explaining how you know it spreads through the. You know, you have lymph nodes all over, but there were twenty odd lymph nodes in the in the stomach area for a woman. And uh, the problem, yeah, eighteen out of out of those were infected, and those lymph nodes run up the aortic artery. And so the problem is that. And, of course, this is scary because he knows all this. What happens with the growth of those nodes, they, they weaken the aortic wall, and then uh, one of the ways that people die from that is that the, the aorta splits, and you literally just, just bleed to death. So he's got all this knowledge, which you and I wouldn't have, and uh, he's told this two days before the wedding. Jane doesn't know all this stuff because she's not as au fait, nor, as she told him, she says, I know it's bad, but I don't want to know how bad. So they were married on the 14th. Um, she came back and had, she had a <clears throat> dose of the strongest possible chemo because she's a very fit lady. I mean, extremely fit. Uh, strongest possible dose of chemo. But um, the next one is supposed to be in six weeks. But, but they, in all honesty, they said, we don't, we don't think she'll even make it to the next lot of chemo. So... You have this situation of going, and of course Rob's then saying, you know, it's so wonderful, and they bought the big house next to us, they bought that as a project that they were going to do, because Jane had, had lived in a big house growing up, and so it was kind of his love for her. He's of such a sweet man, is Rob. You know, he wanted her to have a big house like she had when she was a kid, that they could do up and, uh, you know, and, and invite people around, and then... Um, he does a lot of government contracts, and he said we were going to do that when we got the work finished, put all the money into doing that, then we were going to travel together. And the fact that she wanted to marry him and they got married was, it was like, you know, all the fairy tale was coming together. Then all of a sudden, um, you know, he's devastated because the love of his life uh, may not be around. And of course, with all his knowledge, he's afraid to leave her for more than 30, 40 minutes because he knows this aortic um, collapse could occur and she could, just, uh, she could just die. So we find ourselves in, in, in that situation today. Now, the reason that I'm telling you the story is twofold. Number one, because, um, you know, I've done this most of my life, you know, preached, led church, been in ministry, and it would be so easy to hear a story like that and then business as usual, just come in and preach a message to you, because after all, it's Saturday night and it's church time, and I'm leading and I'm supposed to preach. And I was kind of ready and, I, and something inside of me was, how, how can you just go about business as usual? How, how can you come and 
preach a message, you know, on something from the Bible about God, no matter how good, uh, that actually puts this issue to one side, like somehow uh, it's a subdivision of someone else's life um, that we should be concerned about, but somehow there is a more important gospel that we need to preach, you know, because we're doing church. And so I felt tonight that, that um, not only would it be dishonoring to everything the kingdom of God is, um, but it would not reflect the heart of Jesus towards humanity just to go on business as usual tonight and just to have a message and say, tonight I learned something tonight. It was, as I, I thought, this demands a response. It, it demands a response of heart and of compassion and of consideration. It demands a process of thought. What do you say to someone like that? And all the, you know, I want to use a bad word here, but I won't use it. All the nonsense that often the church has spoken to people like that, uh, that has led them to believe that God does that kind of thing. Oh, well, you know, you know uh, we've just got to trust God. If he, God must have a better purpose if he's going to take your loved one. That, that kind of nonsense, ridiculous rubbish that has poured out in platitudes sometimes of the church's testimony um, that has led people to find no help and no hope. It's a horrible world. I don't have an answer for Rob other than, other than I know there's a place that you can find peace beyond your understanding. And I know there's a realm where miracles happen. And if I could click my fingers and make that happen, I would, but I don't have that secret. So all I can say is, is we share your pain, we feel your anxiety, but we trust God and we love God. And whatever we can do in the context of, of connecting earth with heaven, we are there to do. So I told Rob we would pray for him tonight, and he was very, very thankful for that. So it was this challenge that says, how, how do we address this whole issue when we face human suffering and when we deal with issues like this because Jesus told a story which, which is what came into my mind and, and just a couple of minutes on it. Uh, you know it as the story of the Good Samaritan um, which, which deserves some consideration in this situation tonight because it's a story Jesus told because again the Pharisees, these religious leaders were coming with all kinds of nonsensical questions that that trying to trap Jesus, you know, about, um, you know, what, what's important? How do we get eternal life? And Jesus said, well, wh what do you think? And so the guy says, well, you know, keep the commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus said, you, you've, you've answered wisely. In the sense that they, they, if, if they were going to attempt to assess importance under the old Jewish law, they had answered correctly, that was important. Now, what they'd failed to realize is that neither you nor I, nor the Pope of Rome, nor the Archbishop of Canterbury can do that. You know, I, 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 I've never known anything other than this. I made a meaningful commitment to be a follower of Jesus when I was 11 years of age. Um, I've been in ministry over 30 years, and I the heck still can't do that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, in fact, the older I get and the more I'm honest about myself, the further I feel that I am from being able to love God in the way that he ought to be loved, if that's what qualifies me 
um, to be accepted by him. And as for loving your neighbour as yourself, I mean, you know, that is just a non-starter. Um, you know, it's, I mean, sometimes I'm one of these people who struggle to love myself and appreciate myself. So how the heck am I going to be meaningfully helpful to a neighbour when sometimes I struggle with my own sense of worth and value? So Jesus' point wasn't, yeah, if you do that, you're okay. His point was, yeah, you've answered right. If you're going to try and get it by the law, that's it. But he said, but, but, um, but Jesus, you know, then he talks about, about neighbours. And of course, the guy's smart, Alex, says, you know, and who is my neighbour? You know, he just, sometimes we, I mean, we must irritate God so bad uh, in our trying to somehow manoeuvre ourselves out of the, out of the pressure of what is important in the context of the expression of what, what we know as the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, look, hey, let, let me tell you a story. There was a guy who was going from Jericho to Jerusalem and on the way he was set upon by a bunch of robbers and thieves, beat him up, stole his stuff and left him for dead at the side of the road. And uh, here was Jesus' point. He says, and the priest was on his way to the temple to do his stuff to the synagogue and uh, he saw clearly saw the guy on the other side of the road but wouldn't even cross the road to look at him he just glanced across and passed him by and carried on to do his religious thing um, which I have no doubt that Jesus' point was that that priest felt he was totally justified because his sense of importance was how to fulfill some, some legalistic requirement and obligation that would keep God happy with him and with the world. And so this, this thing here couldn't, couldn't interfere with that, that need to, to keep himself legally pure and all that stuff. And, and so he goes on and Jesus said, and then a Levite came along who was like a, a worker, a church attender, whatever you want to, you know, however you want to describe that. I suppose much like we might describe ourselves today. He kind of went across and had a look and thought, mm, that looks really bad, but did the same thing, went on his way up to the temple to do this. So you imagine the guys at the side of the road dying, but we didn't miss church. We weren't late, we got here. <coughs> You know, we sung our songs and, and we gave our offerings and, uh, uh, you know, we, we heard our lesson and we had our discussion and we got a coffee in Pillars and went home. Uh, by which time, of course, the guy at the side of the road, inevitably, with Jesus' story, would have, been, would have been dead. But Jesus said along the road came, came a Samaritan. Now, of course, that doesn't mean much to us, you know, but... but um, uh, Samaritans, as far as Jews were concerned, were they, were they were outcasts, they were rejects. They did not consider them worthy um, <clears throat> to have any benefit from God or any blessing from God. They were, they were, as far as they were concerned, they were the fruits of false religion. They were the fruits of, of a broken worship system. And so, so the Jews had a saying that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Right? It was like, they're the other side of the track, we don't deal with them. So of course this was Jesus' point, that in all your pious religious performance, 
you, you've often missed the point of what the kingdom of God is all about. That it was never about sitting in churches so that somehow we could feel that God was not going to judge us anymore and we could get to heaven. Uh, whatever the importance or not of that, and I would, I would dispute with some of our terminology within that, but, but like somehow this, this was the point. And the problem, when that becomes the point, we become obsessed with all the wrong things. And uh, our ability to, to live together and love together and work together and flow together becomes interrupted, interrupted by stupid little things that really have no significance in the wider picture uh, of what the kingdom of God and the love of God is all about. And so Jesus deliberately says, okay, so these guys who, you know, in the rock church every week, it's me included, um, all got there on time, but meanwhile... This Samaritan, this outcast, this, this one who you would have said he, hasn't, he doesn't believe right, he hasn't got it right, he, doesn't, he comes along the road, as soon as he sees the guy, he gets off his, um, he gets off his donkey and um, he goes to the guy and he sees the guy's in difficulty and he interrupts. We don't, even, we don't know where this guy was going. We know where the others were going. They were off to church, right? We don't know where this guy was going, but... You know, he'd obviously got provisions and supplies and money with him. I don't know, he might have been a businessman. The point is he was prepared to interrupt the process of his life in order to involve himself in the desperation and the pain and the hurt of this poor man who through no fault of his own had been set upon by robbers and left for dead. And um, so he takes his own oil and he takes his own wine and he cares for the guy's wounds and cares for his needs. I heard one guy saying he knew where to pour which one, okay? Right? One in the mouth, one on the wounds. He knew what to do. He poured, he gave his own resources. And then it wasn't just that he did that and then said, I hope you're okay, fine. It says he put him on his own donkey, which means then the guy's going to walk. So he's inconveniencing himself to the extent where he didn't ride the donkey and say, just follow me and I'll help you. He inconveniences himself, puts the guy on his own donkey, takes him to the nearest hotel and uh, tells the guy in the hotel, because obviously the poor guy's got no money, he says, let me tuck him up in bed, will you keep an eye on him, and uh, however long he needs to stay, let him stay until he's well, and when I come back, see, here's even the integrity, when I come back, I'll pay you, I'll leave you some money now, and if I owe you anything when, when he goes, I'll pay you the debt. So here this guy interrupts his life, um, uses his resources, pays another man's debt, takes care of him. And of course, Jesus says, which one of these do you think was the man's neighbor? Now, of course, this was the paradox for the religious guys because as far as they were concerned, um, this other guy could not possibly in any way, by any means, in any shape or form, be an expression of the heart of God. They had written him off, uh, they had forsaken him, and he did not count and yet somehow Jesus was saying, for those of you who think you've got what it takes and are doing what you think is important, which does have an importance and does have a place and does have a relevance, is that at the end of the day, it's not about the form and the ceremony and the practice and the institution. It's actually about the kingdom of God touching the real lives of real people at the point of their need. And... Um, 
And so today I felt I could not move on from this situation and just make my way to the temple to do my priestly duty with the others of us who would come without considering what is it that we can do to bring oil and wine to those who are hurting and those who are struggling and to put them on our donkey and take them to wherever we need to take them and to be willing to resource that life to show that the kingdom of God comes to people at their point of need and touches their lives in very real ways, that Jesus' first objective was not to make you religious. Jesus' first objective was to show you the kingdom of God, to show you the love of God, and to show you that you do not qualify by anything that you have done. You qualify by what he has done. So the whole point of Jesus Coming to earth, the word incarnate was because he was like that Samaritan. And if you remember, the Bible says he came to his own and his own would not receive him. And the religious crowd said, Jesus isn't the one. He's not qualified. In fact, we think he's more demonic than he is godly. But what he brought was that life to the people who needed it. My, my heart and desire in having all integrity to, to all the truth that we need to receive and hold in acknowledging the grace of God is that we do not become people who cannot be interrupted in our journey so that we become aware of the suffering of the world. And that in being aware of the suffering of the world, it's not just that we are aware, so we'll carry on to the place and we'll go and pray for the suffering of the world. It's the issue of using your donkey and using your gold and using your hotel and using your room and using your oil and using your wine to say, what is it that we can do to cause this person to be able to recover. Because, because how, how many of you realize that the impact upon that man who was robbed was going to make him very amenable towards the Samaritan who took the time to love him in his deepest need, but something in his mind was going to develop an attitude about the priest and the Levites that would say, I was in need, but they didn't really care for me. They were too interested in the process of their institution to care about the realities of my need. Now, this is not that within the gospel we now say all the gospel is about is about finding people who are hurting. The gospel is still about the good news of, of us being right with God not because of anything we do, but because of what he has done. It's about the good news of all good newsers, where Jesus said, what it is that's required is not required from you. It was required by me, and I have done it, and it is finished. But it's now about who we are as a people, and how we feel as a people, about the world that we are trying to reach. And so I wanted to bring that challenge to you tonight, because I feel that our... Our expression of the kingdom has to have that element where we have said, even the way we believe, we are willing to have interrupted so that it refocuses our attention on the kingdom of God coming and his will being done on earth, just like it is in heaven. They, those two kinds of people who walk by had very solid doctrinal reasons. You understand the word doctrinal? That's, that's the belief system. They had very good doctrinal reasons for not getting involved because according to their old law, if you were a priest and you went near a dead body or touched a dead body, 
that meant that you were unclean and couldn't perform your priestly duties because you'd now touched the dead body and you were unclean. I'm glad that Jesus, who the Bible calls our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, touched the dead body in order to minister to us. That dead body was his own dead body. That uncleanness that comes under the condemnation of the law in the religious cycle, Jesus took on himself because in himself he touched death so that he could say, it doesn't matter about touching death because that's not going to make you unclean anymore, okay? That is the way that you break the cycle that destroys the lives of people. So Jesus touched death in order that he could rise from the dead so that he could break the religious cycle in us that says we can't get involved to say you need to get involved. And as you get involved, that's how the kingdom comes and how the love of God becomes reality in people's lives. The word made flesh, God incarnate showing up to people. So I have just one other verse I want to read. And then what I want to do is this. Um, I, want to, I want to pray for us first. Right? I want to pray for us first so, so that we will break whatever cycles are in our life that stop us being the Samaritan. And then I want to pray for those who are suffering like Rob and like Jane. But then also what I want to do then, which I said, I want to take an offering. The reason I want to take an offering is because I want to be able to do some things for these people who are in need. Now, it's not money can't buy them what it is that they need, but, but something struck me because Rob said, before Jane dies, and I hope she doesn't, and I'm praying for a miracle, but he's saying before she dies, I would like to, while she still has some strength, take her to the Devonshire Arms so we can stay for a night and maybe take her up to the Lake District uh, just so they can spend this time together. Now, here's the deal. Rob can afford to do that. He's not a poor man. So it's not an issue of, well, he can't afford to do it, so we better step in. But how wonderful if he can afford to do it, and we know he can afford to do it, if we said, but we want to do that because we want to take the burden of your fears, the burden of your anxiety, the burden of your concern to show you that outside of that circle... Not because there's any obligation, but simply because of what's touched our lives. There is someone who loves you and cares for you and is trying to demonstrate to you the oil and the wine and the donkey and the room and the debt being paid. It's a demonstration of the love of God because I want you to remember Jesus never told us to love our neighbor as ourselves. He said the law says that. But Jesus said, this is the new command I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Or in other words, we don't pour out because we see what we think a person can afford or not afford. We look at the love that's been poured into our life and the kindness of God and then out of a, an appreciation for the way that he has loved us, we love others generously and without reservation so that they can feel the love of God flowing out through us. So, so, when I've done this, we're going to take an offering, and out of that offering, we're going to bless some people. Is that okay? So, this is what I wanted to read, this verse from Matthew 23. In, in, incidentally, if you want to read that story, it's in, it's in Mark chapter 10, the one about the, the uh, 
um, Good Samaritan. But listen to this. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. He's again talking to the religious crowd. For you pay tithes of mint and aniseed and cumin. Or in other words, you've taken all the legalistic requirements to the, to the farthest extent that you can possibly take them in your behavior. But he said, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Which is justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So he's not saying, you know, we shouldn't do the stuff that we ought to do for things to work right. But he said we should do those, but what we should be focused on is justice and mercy and faith. Because he said the problem is you've become blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. His point in that is you've majored on things that are minor and minored on things that are major. You, you've, you've tried to strain out a little gnat because you think, oh, we don't want to swallow the gnat. He said, but in doing that, you swallowed a camel. And as one man said, the gnat will not kill you, but the camel will. And when we get the wrong aspects on this, we kill ourselves by swallowing stuff that keep us from being who we ought to be. I'm bringing this message so we just free our hearts up and free our lives up and so that you know that I am freeing you on behalf of the leadership of this house that, to care and to be compassionate and to serve and to allow your life to be interrupted and the process of life to be interrupted by the real needs that we encounter and we face in our world that the love of God is the only answer to those needs. So we're going to stand first and we're going to pray. Father... I first of all pray for me and I pray for us in this house. I pray that you will open the the tap of compassion even further in our own lives. That that you will increase our sensitivity and our awareness of the suffering and the struggles in the world around us. And especially where we are passing that way, especially where we are on the same road, especially where the one who's been set upon by robbers is right in the path that we are going. Help us not to be so focused on the process of our own lives, even of the ministry of this church, whatever that is, and and the practices of our belief that we that we don't have time for that. Jesus, I'm asking your compassion, your kindness, your love touches. We accept your command. We receive your command today that we love one another in the same way and to the extent that you have loved us. And I'm asking you to help that this become more prolific in our lives and in this house in Jesus' name. And also now for Rob and Jane and all that they represent and people who are facing disastrous news and, and hurtful consequence and broken dreams and, uh, and are faced with, the, with the, the, the horror of the suffering that happens in life to humanity. We just pray again for your peace and your grace to somehow find its way into those situations. And if we can be that means for it to come, then Father, we pray, let us be that means, let us be that vehicle so that people touch the kingdom of God in in the midst of their suffering. We also believe for miracles, Father, our faith in your ability to change nature and reshape nature differently. We still believe that you do that. And so we pray for Jane and we pray for Margaret and we pray for Barbara and we pray, Jesus, for 
all those who are suffering with issues, that a miracle would sure make a big difference. But Lord, just be present. Be present, we pray. Thank you that you came into our world to bring heaven to us. We also are very aware, Father, of our own mortality and that we are not going to cheat death in the context of our own body. But we thank you that you dealt with death so that there is a context beyond our body uh, that is eternal and everlasting and will never change and, and is a real forever, not just a three-day forever, but a real forever, which is the life that you brought because death has lost its sting and the grave has lost its victory um, because you have won. So Jesus, we just want to be people who bring your life, your victory, your peace, your hope into every situation that we face. And so, Lord, we look for the miraculous, but make us rivers of your peace. Make us people who instill hope into others and make us people who are sensitized to the people that are on our road who have been set about, who have been left for dead, that we actually have the key to life. And if it means we're called Samaritans, then so be it. What we're interested, Lord, is not our reputation in the eyes of men, but we're interested in whether we were faithful and true to what you brought us into by your love and your grace and your kindness. So help us to be that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, bless you. If you are, uh, um, obviously, if you're a, a gift aid giver, please do it in the blue envelope. Um, and if you don't want to give anything, that's also fine. Um, I don't know. You better ask the powers that be, like the mix. Do you want? Do you need a second offering on this? Are you okay? This will be kept separate, will it? From it's kept separate. It's okay, Father. Let this do more than the amount would suggest it should do, because it's bringing a blessing from the kingdom. In fact, let, let's let's just do this. I mean, it, and I'm keeping you a few minutes, but I think it's important. If you're giving an offering, just hold your offering in your hand right now. You know this. You may not realise it, but. Um, Here's what happens. We, we exchange our life for money. Okay? Any of us that have any money in here, you exchanged your life for money. So when they talk about hourly pay, what that means is one hour of your life is worth this much money. Uh, and some of us get more an hour than others get, but it's our life. We give our life. For so, so what you need to understand is when we give, we actually don't give money we actually give our life. So when you do this in faith, in the spirit that God wanted us to give, what you're giving is not you're just not giving your money so somebody can benefit from your money. You're giving something of your life, something of who you are. Created in the image of God, touched by the hand of God. Every blessing, every miracle in your life when you give this money, there's something of that goes with that money in the offering, because you're saying, I'm giving my life to be a blessing to these people. So, so I want you just to hold your offering. We're going to pray right now. Father, as we give something of our life represented by this money, 
I pray that the lessons we've learned, the miracles that we've had, the blessings we've received, the comfort that we've known, the peace that we've experienced will pass in this gift that whoever it goes to and however much of it goes there, it will manifest the blessings that have touched all of our lives so that this love will be in the same measure that you have loved us. When we received your gift to us, we got something of you in that gift. So as we give it, we believe right now, Father, that something more than money is going to touch these lives in Jesus name amen all right there you go let's let's take this so I hope that's okay I know we kind of gone funny directions tonight but I actually personally believe God's been in it all so here's here's the deal finishing off um, if all you heard tonight was a message and that was a good message, you know, or you go away and say, oh, isn't it sad about Margaret or isn't it sad about Jane, you missed the point, okay? I, I tweeted today that if, if the story of the Good Samaritan is just a story, you missed the point, okay? So if what I've said to you tonight it's just that Anth telling you what happened in his day. You missed the point. Okay? How many of you think you caught the point tonight? Okay? The point is this is something, it's not something we hear, it's something we do. And I want us seriously, from my heart of hearts, to take this in our heart, take it today, and ask God as you go out and as you live tomorrow, God, help me to be that, that Samaritan spirit that sees that. Help me to carry that spirit with with me because what an impact we can have if we're going around every day with that kind of feeling and uh, of course I'll be hopping mad if we, I turn up one Saturday and none of you are here because you're, you're too busy pouring in oil and wine but you'll have to forgive me alright much, much as I, I want you here though the truth is we are learning as a house that our purpose in this world is, is, this is important, but it's also more important than this. And the more we do that, that's why a funny thing is happening, that, that more people are part of our house and listen to, to what we've got in our house than actually are in our house. It's a really weird, strange thing that's going on, but we're part of that. So I bless you, we appreciate you, love you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for being here. And, uh, you know, let's keep letting the love of God touch lives in Jesus' name. Amen. We're done. Yeah.